Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Well, it's my way, Lord, highway, it's what she said to me, it's why I'm gone. Start the mini So, um, today we're going to talk about T-tests. Um, this is stuff that, again, I know you've run into before, but don't feel like you can't ask questions. I'd really rather you did than not. Um... Remember to find the probability of a given, this is what we talked about last time, finding the probability of a value of a variable. If the variable is normally distributed, you turn it into a z-score. That was what we did at the very end, wasn't it, right? Just took something, turned it into a z-score. Okay? So we had, I think it was IQ, was using, just with the sort of standard thing. And z equals x minus mu over sigma. The reason it looks all like that is because I didn't feel like getting it the equation editor software doing one little line. Okay. Look it up in a Z table, you're in business. Pretty easy. Right, stuff you've done before, you learned how to do it last year or whenever you took stats. It's really not a horribly difficult thing to do. It's really quite mechanical almost. Okay. Now, as interesting as this is, and I'm putting interesting in air quotes, um, we're usually dealing with means, not individual values, right? Like, it's very rare. In fact, I don't ever remember ever worrying about a z-score of an individual, you know, an individual z-score. I worry about individual scores or probabilities, let's say that instead, of I worry about probabilities of means. I don't worry about probabilities of individual scores. The last time I can think of worrying about the probability of an individual mean, or individual score, I'm sorry, was when I found out my IQ. I thought, I wonder what the probability of getting an IQ like that is. I'm not going to tell you. That's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good score. It's not low. Um, yeah, it's a good score. Start with a one. <laughs> leave it at that. That's, that's, that's yeah. it's, I, I think you'd like to hope that the person teaching you has an IQ greater than the average. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember then going, oh, gee, I wonder what the Z score for that. Oh, the probability of that is this. Oh, that's, I guess, I'm pretty smart. So, that's literally the last time I did that. It's okay. a long time ago. Third year. Um, so instead of knowing the distribution of x, we usually care about the distribution of x bar. And I talked a bit about this last time with sampling distributions, right? I talked about how you could, even with rolling a die or flipping a coin, the average of the average, the average average <laughs> is distributed normally. So Because we're dealing with group means. We, we, we care about groups. Individual differences, while interesting, and there's a whole part of psychology about individual differences. That's perfectly fine and dandy. But usually we care about groups. This is why, for example, when someone does, for those of you guys who do an honors thesis next year, when someone says to you, how did I do on this? Your answer, your standard answer is, I'm not interested in individual scores. I'm interested in groups. That's a way of getting out of telling people anything. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's basically a way of getting out because what's going to happen is people are going to interpret the score on whatever the thing they did a lot more seriously than they should. Right, so the standard answer you give people when they say, how did I do? You say, well, the first answer you give is just fine. <laughs> the second answer is, I really don't want to tell you how you did because I'm only interested in group di- uh, scores. I'm not interested in individuals and then they say, yeah, but how did I do? You say, you don't have the expertise to interpret how you did if I give you a score. But you do, no I don't. (laughs) You don't give people their individual scores, okay? Because they're not signing up ever to get insight. They're signing up to be an experiment. Anyway, we're interested in groups. And and, you know, and really the first answer is true. We don't care about individual scores. It's not what we're into. And this tells us about this tells us about the 
distribution of means, the sampling distribution of the mean, the center limit there. Given a population with mean mu and variance sigma squared, the sampling distribution of the mean will have a mean of mu, mu sub x uh, bar equals mu, and a variance of sigma squared over n. As n increases, this distribution approaches normal, no matter what the shape of the parent population distribution. Okay? Memorize that. No, it's, it's something you should know. Uh, it's not hard to memorize a bunch of words. Now, again, we talked a little bit about this last time, but we have a population with a mean of mu and a variance of sigma squared. Fine. We just gave them names. They have a mean and variance. The sampling distribution of the mean, in other words, the average mean score we will get, we take each mean score of size n, from, of, of a group size n, and we do it an infinite number of times. Obviously, we can't really do this. And we plot out how likely it is to get a certain mean of, say, size 10, or 15, or 30, or 1,000. The mean's going to be the same. The mean mean, the average mean, is actually going to be the same size, uh, the same uh, value, I'm sorry, as the mean. That's neat. And not surprising. Right? That's intuitively pleasing. The variance is sigma squared over n. Now, and I mentioned this last time, why would the variance be sigma squared over n? Well, we know it's going to depend on n. It's going to depend on it. And as n gets bigger, it's going to get smaller, isn't it? Because think about it. And again, let's just pretend that we got, I don't know, let's, it's 20 odd people here today. We're missing three people, two people. But we got one, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 20, 21, 22, 23. 23 people here. Okay. And we're going to measure our, our heights. And if we sample five people, and let's say our average height in the room is 170 centimeters. I don't know what it is. Let's say it's 170. So we have 23 people as our population. It's not usually like, but let's say in this case it is. We're going to measure everybody, plot up their average score, average height. Easy, no problem. Okay, we're going to get. We'll do that. We'll go, I'm going to do, uh, do, do a sample size of 10. And we're going to do it over and over and over again. We're going to get a nice bell-shaped distribution. That's what this says. We're going to get a mean of 170. Be it mean, mean. And we're going to get some variance. <coughs> now, the interesting thing is, well, think about this. If I only sample two people each time, the variance would be pretty big, right? Because there'll be some times when you're going to get... Who else here? Tom's pretty tall. So we're going to get me and Tom as the two people. Right? And I think probably two tallest people in here. So we're going to get really high. And then some other times, other times it's going to be, it's going to be Jay and, I don't know, Mickey's not very tall either. <laughs> okay? It's going to happen too. It's not going to happen that often. But it will happen. And it's going to be really spread out. Now what happens on the other hand? If we use sample size 23, you say, wait, Dave, this is the population. Yeah, this is for illustration purposes only. <laughs> so we're going to get the same value each time, or the same value for the height. What's the distribution going to be? It's not a distribution, it's a freaking point. It'll just be this. Done. Okay. Does that have any variance? Well, no, it's the same damn number each time. As n gets bigger, variance gets smaller. Or, and I said this the other day, the limit as n approaches infinity of this equals zero. Now, if it's going to depend on n, so if this doesn't make any sense to you, that's fine. But just look at this thing in here, in the parentheses here, sigma squared over n. All that is is saying as n gets bigger, because that's a fraction. What's something you do in math that was you make, make something get bigger than the whole quantity gets smaller? You divide by it, you make a fraction. That's all it is. Okay? 
The nice thing, as I mentioned as well, is the idea that it's always going to be normal. Always going to be a normal distribution. Question so far? So memorize that. I also memorize what it means. Not just the words. Words are important, and the words in that order are important. Said exactly like that. There's very few times when I will say that to you, but mathematical things like that actually have to be... They're like that for a reason. Okay? All right. Think of the power of this. It's actually pretty cool. The population distribution shape doesn't matter. That's neat. What matters is random sampling. Um, so those samples have to be random. It doesn't matter as much as people say it does, but it does matter. Because the math behind the central limit theorem assumes you're randomly sampling. Now, thing is, you'll hear people a lot of times say, well, you didn't randomly sample your subjects, I'm sorry, participants for your thesis study. <laughs> I'm really not doing that on purpose to make a point. I was taught they were called subjects, and it's hard to get it in my head. So you're not randomly sampling your participants for your thesis study. How can you, you know, because they're just people signing up. Frankly, it, it only kind of matters. <laughs> Okay, it's not that important people think it is. It's not that important. It's important if you are doing a political poll to represent the population. It's damn important. Right? You don't just sample people at an NDP rally. <laughs> oh, 100%! They're going to dominate this election! Right? That's, by the way, that's called, whenever you see somebody who's buying political polls during an election, what do they say? They're giving a speech saying, well, I see that the polls didn't call anybody in this room. That's the mating cry of the loser. Um, it doesn't matter a whole lot to make the central limit theorem work. It matters for other things, representativeness of the sample. Hell, it matters a lot. But that's, I don't care about that right now. All I care about is does the central limit theorem work. So to find the probability of x bar, we just use our old friend, the z-score. Hello, Z-score, my old friend. Dividing <laughs> by variance again. Don't run that song. <laughs> it's the sound of normality. So, things are going to change a little bit here. You can't ruin a song. There's no way I could ruin such a great song. It's impossible. It's great. Everything they ever did was great. It really was. They were really something. So this is what we have originally. Remember, it's x minus the mean, so some score minus the mean, divided by this variance. All I'm doing now, this isn't magic. X bars now we want to find what's different. <clears throat> minus mu, and what's the variance or the standard deviation of the sampling distribution of the mean? It's sigma over squared n. It's the same damn formula. I've subbed this in for this, and I've subbed this in for this, and I've subbed that for that. You say, well, it's the same damn thing, Dave. Well, yeah, because mu sub x bar equals mu. Okay? They're really, it, this, it, this is not a new formula. I know when you first learned in 2126, you, you look at it and go, oh, another formula. No, no, it's not really another formula. And if you remember the central limit theorem, you will know then what to put in there if you ever use the central Questions so far? How are you guys doing? This feels okay? Feeling strong? Okay. Okay, here's an example. Let's say we have 25 subjects, minus course, I'm going to call them subjects. 25 subjects. And they're given an IQ improvement course. They have their IQs tested after the course, they end up on IQ, I mean IQ of 110. I made this up. There's no such thing as an IQ improvement. You can't really raise your IQ. It's not, it doesn't work that way. You can lower it, just get yourself ahead of the hammer a bunch of times. But you can't really raise it up. Okay? But I had to think of something to use an IQ because I know the variance of IQ in the population. Okay. IQ in the population has a mu mean of 100 and a variant, a sigma square, or a sigma rather, a standard deviation of 15. Why? Why do I know this? Because IQ tests are designed this way. That's how they work. Most variables we don't know, sigma, but we actually do for IQ, which is, which is the reason it's used all the time in statistics examples. 
I imagine in business statistics they use IQ as an example, just because they know the sigma. Okay. So we do this. X bar minus mu over sigma divided by root n, which is 110 minus 100 over 15 divided by 25. Notice how I made this nice and easy so the math would work out. And, yeah, I didn't have to use a calculator. The square root of 25 is 5. You didn't know that. You should know that. <laughs> 10 over 3 is 3.33. The probability of getting a z score less than 3.33, I'm sorry, greater than 3.33 is less than 0.00043. Now you might say, I don't think I have that in my Z table in my book. No, you don't. But in my old fancy calculator that my, my, my son destroyed, you can put a, a Z value in and it will come out with a probability. So you look that up at a table. You know how to do these. You know how to do these. What that's saying is it's exceedingly unlikely that this happened by chance. What it's saying is our IQ improvement course works. And if this were true, we could all retire because we could be giving this, we could, we, we could be selling these late at night on television along with shark cartilage. You see those, you see those uh, infomercials now? Okay. <laughs> We'd hire some uh, D-list actor to host the infomercial for us. You know, I don't know, uh, how about uh, Ted McGinley? <laughs> some of these jokes are just for me, and I really don't care that you get don't get them. Um, so that's fine. We would then conclude that it, it works. Whatever. We have a problem, though. We don't usually know sigma for a population. We know it for IQ. And if we do know it, that's wonderful. There are other times you can theoretically figure it out. Um, if you're using what's called a binomial expansion, which I'm not going to worry It's such a rare thing to happen that we're not even going to talk about it. The expected value of S squared is sigma squared. Remember, unbiased estimator, right? Well, why don't we just throw S squared in there? We can calculate that. That's a piece of cake. Or pi, perhaps, if you prefer pi or a delicious burger. Whatever it is, it's pretty easy to do. Just sub in S squared for sigma squared, but now we're going to have two sampling distributions to contend with because we have to worry about the sampling distribution of variance. So the sampling distribution of the mean is all the possible, a distribution of all the possible values the mean can take. The sampling distribution of the variance is this with its given n is the, the distribution of all the possible values the variance can take with a given n. Wow, we have to care about that now too. That's a pain. And remember how, how we calculate variance? Right? You remember the variance is simply x minus x bar squared over n minus 1. Now, this is telling us something that the whole thing depends on n. The bigger n is, the smaller the variance is, right? That's the thing, because it's the bottom of a fraction. You divide by a bigger number, you get a smaller number. That's one of those properties of the universe. So we're going to have to take that into account. Take that into account. Words. So we can't use z, because z doesn't change depending on the, on, on the n, does it? It's always the same. You just look it up. Think about a z table. right? You want 0.05, one-tailed, it's 1.645. It's always 1.645. You want 0.025, one-tailed, or 0.25, sorry, 0.05, two-tailed, or 0.025, one-tailed, it's 1.96. Works that way. Can't do that here. We have to worry about the number of subjects. We have to worry about the number of degrees of freedom. Okay. So we're going to use t, which is x bar minus mu over s. Oh, see, it looks a lot like the old z formula, is not it? The only thing that's different, in fact, is this isn't a sigma anymore, now it's an s, divided by root n. And again, that's a one-sample t-test. We've all seen it before. 
So T changes depending upon the number of observations. Once T hits about, by the way, you might notice when you look at a T formula, a T, sorry, a T table in the back of a book or something, once T hits about 30, it looks a lot like a Z table. It's very simple. The values almost become indistinguishable. So T changes depending upon the number of observations. Degrees of freedom to estimate sigma squared by calculating S squared, to be precise. Right there. In our case, right now, it's going to be N minus 1. Remember, degrees of freedom are not just n minus one. It's not. This doesn't work that way. They are the number of value. Uh, ah, the amount, number of num <laughs> the number of numbers that can be assigned arbitrarily. In our case here, it's going to be n minus one. That will change depending on the kind of procedure you're using. Though, so keep that in mind. So the answer, if you write on a quiz, when I write degrees of freedom, I want to, you can't just write n minus one. It's not always n minus one. Sometimes it's like a times b times a minus one. You don't know what a and b are. It's a pretty powerful technique if you think about it. You have to know, you have to know anything about the population at all. That's pretty neat. Well, right now I guess we have to know the the, the, the population. Okay. That's it. You don't have to know the, the variance. And you don't have to know the shape. Because we know the variance, or we can, we can, or we can estimate the variance with the, with the sample variance. And the shape, because the central limit there, is going to be a normal distribution uh, for the sampling distribution. That's pretty cool. OK, questions so far? All right. Pairs of observations. Well, pairs of observations can be a bit different. Because now, if we pair people up, and I know this looks funny on the PDF, there's a reason. If we pair people up, or we have the same person before and after. So, Let's say we're going to test some blood pressure medication. So we measure, measure Craig's blood pressure before, right? And then we measure, we give him the medication, we measure it after. We do the same thing with Jay, and Spence, Wendy, and everybody else. We have pairs of observations. If the blood pressure medication has no effect, what should we get from, which, what should happen? Between four and a half times, there should be no difference. So what we're doing there is we're looking at different scores. Before minus after, after minus before, I don't give a crap how we do it. Thing is, what if instead of using testing Craig twice, Testing Lucas twice, testing Jay twice, whatever. What if we can't do that? Maybe the medication has a long lasting effect. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. This example is horrible. <laughs> Why don't we match subjects up on their blood pressure? So we take everybody's blood pressure in class and we match up. So it turns out that the Kelsey got exactly the same blood pressure, which is exceedingly low. Um, so we match the two of us up. You do get the blood pressure medication, I do. We then measure the two of us. We're now considered a pair, right? And we subtract you get your score from mine. Okay? Still, still, we expect the scores to be the same, to be zero if there's no effect. That's why it's x bar sub d. It's the average dif uh, difference. Standard deviation of the differences divided by the number of pairs. It's the same damn formula. Why don't I have minus mu there? Because mu is zero. Right? So it's, did you like that? Like just flipped away? It's pretty good. So, standard deviation, or sorry, that, yeah, mean of the differences, technically minus the, the, the mu sub d, but mu sub d is zero. Standard deviation of the differences divided by the 
number of pairs. So not just for individual score of the ultimate pair of, of, of observations is, is the same person tested twice. We can't always do that. So we could use it with matching. Now, one of the things, as far as just as a note on design, you want to be careful about is usually we randomly assign subjects to groups. If we actually do match people up on whatever variable is, they're matched up nicely on that variable and not matched up at all on anything else. So keep in mind. Questions. Do you have questions? Are questions in your head or other parts of your body, which seems unlikely because of your brain's in your head? Sure. I know you've seen all this before. Maybe it's that. And all you're going to do is you calculate this and you look it up and see if it's greater than some key value. Go ahead, Cass. So what's the mean difference be like you subtract the two people and then you get all the numbers and then find the mean of all the two? Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what it is. See, it's a good clarifying question. Never preface your question with this may be a stupid question. As, as a rule, I mean, I'm just saying that when you do that, immediately people say, oh, this. And then actually, it's a very good question. Other questions? Any actual stupid questions? <laughs> So you guys are good. Making sense, right? It's all stuff you've done before. Except you used to, used to take a day and a half instead of 10 minutes. You sure you have no questions? Okay, that's fine. Fine, have it your way, see if I care. All right. What if your pairs aren't matched? That's a different issue altogether. Un the pairs aren't matched, right? <clears throat> so maybe you have two populations in that case. In fact, that's what we're trying to find out. That's what we're trying to find out. So <coughs> well, then they, then the hypotheses are as follows. HO is mu1 equals mu2. The mean of the two groups are the same. Ha! Huh, is that H1 is not equal to H2. It could be directional, greater than, could be less than. Let's not worry about that right now. Let's just say not equal to, okay? All right. Those are our two hypotheses. <coughs> now, the original T formula, the one I just introduced about 10 minutes ago, is this guy. T equals x bar minus mu over s divided by root n, right? OK. We had a statistic that we're trying to find out about, right? We had HO in there. And we have some measure of spread. Basically, we call this the error, or in this case, it actually has a term, has a name, it's called the standard error. The standard error of the mean. Okay. So we have a statistic, we've got HO, we've got the standard error of the mean. We take a statistic, we subtract something representing an all hypothesis, and we divide by the standard error of the mean. That's for the original T form. He's actually pretty interesting because um, it was developed by this guy named Gossett, who published under the name Student, which is kind of cool. Uh, he published under that name because his employer didn't want him to be taken, to be poached away by another company. They liked their scientists publishing, they just didn't want them to get taken, you know, hired away. So when he developed this, he published it under the name student, which why you'll often hear it called student's t-test or a studentized distribution. The guy's name's actually Carl Gossett. Uh, Gossett had, was, was a, a, a quality control guy at Guinness in Dublin, Ireland, which is kind of great. He's doing statistics in a brewery. It's like awesome. It's like my dream job. 
I don't know why I called it T. I know why F's called F. I don't know why T's called T. Could be because maybe, well, maybe, uh, let's, let's make something up. I uh, really enjoyed Toblerone. So, what are we going to do? We're going to put the statistics we're interested in and we're going to subtract the null. So, x bar 1 minus x bar 2, subtract mu 1 minus mu 2. Say, wait, what? Practically, actually, that's this. Because our null hypothesis is that mu1 equals mu2, which means that mu1 minus mu2 is zero. So that goes in. So you never usually, you don't usually taught the formula on top. You're usually told, oh yeah, it's just x bar one minus x bar two. But technically, really, it's minus mu1 minus mu2. Um, sometimes you'll see in, a, in, a, in an intro stats book, one of the final hard questions when they make the and they say the null hypothesis is the two groups are different by five points. Those are never true. Those are never null hypotheses. No one has null hypotheses like that. Just jerk ass statistics guys. Right? It doesn't happen. But the nice thing is this gives us an idea of why it looks like this. So again, it's not a new formula. And divided by the standard error of the mean, well, it's the standard error of one mean subtracting another mean. So we gotta figure that out. But you see why this, right? Now, the error is a little different. It's the variance of group one divided by the number of subjects in group one plus the variance of group two divided by the number of subjects of group two. You, you actually, you can subtract distributions. You can't subtract variances. And the variances have to be weighted because and we talked about this when we talked about coefficient of variation earlier in the course. The bigger the n is, the smaller the variance is. It's just going to work that way. Right? Variance depends on the, on the size of the mean and also the size of n. So the bigger the n is, the smaller the variance is. We, we, we have to divide by the number of observations. So we're going to add them together. We're going to add them together, right? And divide by the square root of it because that's it's, it's we know we have to get uh, the standard error is in the same units. So look, that's where our formula comes from. X bar one minus X bar two, or X bar two minus X bar one doesn't matter over the square root of s squared 1 over n sub 1 plus s squared sub 2 over n sub 2. Square root of that whole thing. That's pretty nifty. Question so far? I know you've seen this formula before. <coughs> I have one. You have? Yes. Um. Oh, you have a question? Yes. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I mean, this is why I did the job. Um, so why is it that x2 is equal to minus x of 1, the other one is x2 minus x2? Oh, I, I guess I put it in a different order this time. It doesn't really matter. Oh, okay. Yeah, because what you would typically do is put the larger one first just because it makes the t value more positive. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's in fact, I was saying x, x1 minus x2, and I looked and I'd written x2 minus x1. So, yeah, yeah, it's a fine question. I mean, but it doesn't really matter what order you're doing it. I typically, and usually statistical software like SPSS or whatever, will usually just do biggest minus smallest as a default. But it doesn't really matter in the end. What happens if you get a negative? Doesn't, uh, negative, just, just like remember, negative z score, same thing. It's, it could be really unlikely, it could be likely. Like a negative. A z of negative 1.96 is the same probability as a z of positive 1.96. You would be less than that or greater than that. So if you were doing it as a test statistic, if you were like drawing this out, uh, t distribution looks a lot like a, a z distribution. So actually, it's expected value of zero. And things here. If we get a t value of greater than this, 
we would reject HO. If we get a T value of less than this, we would reject HO. So it's not a big deal getting a negative. But by convention, in, you know, in data analysis and papers, people always do think it's minus smallest. Yeah. yeah. Good question. All right. Other questions? You guys are good. You're okay so far? Okay. same formula. I know it looks different, but we've really got the same formula. We get formula, which is a new word I've invented, a formula, uh, which is subbed in different values for the statistic, the HO, and the error. In fact, this is really almost no different than the Z test. The simple, and even, not even Z test, just Z statistic, Z score. They all come from the same place. So there's nothing magical going on here. So the, wait, the N stand for? Number of subjects each group. So that's number in group one, number in group two. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Would you mind giving us an example of just made up numbers just to go through it? Yeah, damn it, I would. Sure, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's think of some. Um, yeah, no problem. So let's see if I this little tiny piece of chalk can hold up. We got two groups of, uh, I don't know, how about uh, people? <laughs> and we're going to have them, uh, oh, okay, we're going to go this half room and this half room. We'll, we'll, we'll use real data, but we'll, we'll make something up about both groups, and they will be equally offensive to the whole class. Uh, I don't know. The right half of the classrooms, uh, well, I think is weight. <laughs> no, we aren't, because somebody could be offended by that. I don't want to offend anybody. Well, he's height. We can't use anything. He's IQ. Okay, so it's not about us. <laughs> We're going to randomly choose out in the world, uh, in school. We're going to randomly choose, uh, I don't know, how about 10? So for group one, uh, 10 people. And group two, we're going to get, uh, well, I don't know, how about, how about 12 people? And what are they going to be? They're going to be uh, students in uh, different disciplines, okay? So, uh, okay, okay. People in fine arts, that would be this group, okay? And this group will be people in, uh, again, so it won't be us, it will be biology. Okay? And what are we going to test them on? Let's test them on something. We're going to test them on how fast they can run. 100 meters. So again, intelligence, don't offend anybody. How fast can they run the 100 meters? That, is there any way that's even remotely offensive to anybody? No, good. So this is what schools become. Professors work. Instead of, I'm not offending anybody. Am I? Okay. 100 meters. So the fine arts students are here. Okay. And the biology students are here. So F there and B here. And let's say the average fine arts student can run 100 meters in 13 seconds. And the average biology student can run 100 meters in 13 and a half. They're going to be slow. But fine art students are always carrying big canvases and stuff. They're in better shape, perhaps. Okay. Standard deviations, uh, let's see. Oh, I don't know. Uh, five. And let's make this one. I don't know. How about. No, five's too big. It's way too big. Uh, let's make it two. It's still pretty big. And let's make this one two and a half. Okay. There's our two groups. So now what we're going to do is we're going to do T equals, and like Jay asked, what do you do in this case? Well, let's go biggest minus smallest, 13 and a half minus 13, all over the square root of 2 divided by 10 plus 
Oh, wait a second. Ah, well, that, that's good. That, that does. But it's not two, is it? It's two squared. Four divided by 10. What's two and a half squared? 6.25, right? Just double check that, it should be. Nobody has, nobody has a calculator on them? Two. It's, it's, it's 6.25? Yeah. yeah, okay, good. And uh, that was magic squared. 25 squared is 625. I know that. See? These are skills they taught us back when we used our brains. So, in school, rather than just the internet. So, now, let's finish this up. So, we got a point 0.5 on top. That's obvious. So the square root of uh, 4 over 10 is a 0.4 plus 6.25 over 12 is going to be what? About 2 points. Let's see. 6.25. Whoops. Let's do that again. 6.25 over 12. FU. 6.25. Hey, Siri, FU. Over 12. 0.520. Whatever. We're going to add 0.4 to that. This is now 0.92 on the bottom. But we're going to take the square root of that. So I have to turn my calculator sideways here because then the square root button shows up, which is uh, there. <coughs> 0.959-ish. 0.9596 if you want to all technical. And I'm going to put that in memory, first of all, clear memory. And then we're going to go in plus. And then we're going to go 0.5 divided by the uh, recall equals 0.52. So I can tell you right now I haven't looked up the critical value for this, but I can guarantee you that's the critical value. I, did, I set this up right away made up the, these freaking numbers, I was doing it such that we would end up with no difference. Again, because I didn't want to offend anybody. So that difference between the fine art students, the biology students, and how fast they run is simply sampling error. It's got nothing to do with the biology students who are faster than the fine art students or vice versa. Which I think is probably the case, right? It seems unlikely that, you know, if it was there, if we had like a phys ed program, we'd probably say they run faster, right? But we don't. And I would choose the sociology one, but remember, most, a lot of our basketball team plays sociology. The guys probably got good, good wheels. <laughs> a lot of them take sociology. So, oh, degrees of freedom. Degrees of freedom. Um, so to find the critical value, which we don't have to do, you can, if you want, we can though. Um, let's see, how many values did we fix? How many things are fixed here? Remember, it's all about how many things you fixed. We fixed two means. So we're going to lose two degrees of freedom. So we got n1 plus n2 minus 2. So in our case, we had 10 people here, 12 people here. 22 minus 2 is 20. 20 degrees of freedom. So you would look up T with 20 to find the critical value. I don't know what that is, but it's certainly bigger than 0.52. We didn't exceed it, so we would not reject the null hypothesis. Right? Does anybody know what? I don't know. You don't know that offhand. Who cares? Right? Yeah. 12, sorry, plus 10. That's the total number of subjects. 22. We lost two degrees of freedom because we fixed two values. Because we have them in the formula. We use the degree, we calculate two variances. S squared sub one and S squared sub two, right? And when we calculate a variance, remember we lose a degree of freedom when we calculate a variance because we fix the mean. Right? Well, we've done it twice. So that's where we lost two degrees of freedom. Now, our, those variances were pretty damn equal. I did, again, that on purpose. I chose variances uh, with four and six and a quarter that are pretty similar. 
They're pretty similar. But things change a little bit if the variances aren't equal. We end up with this thing called pooled variance, which is n minus one, n1 minus one times s squared sub one plus n2 minus one times variance of group two divided by n1 plus n2 minus two. All we're doing here is we're averaging those two variances. That's that's all that 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 that's all that that is. It's just averaging two variances. You look, but, but, but why if we're averaging them? Why are we uh, weighting them by the number of? Well, yeah, we have to weight them because variance depends on the number of subjects. Think about it. You divide by n minus one. So let's just weight it by that. I'm going to divide by the number of degrees of freedom. So really all pooled variances is an average of two variances. <coughs> a weighted average of two variances. Okay. So if instead this was two and this one was 11, we probably use this. And you're going to say, Dave, how do I know when I have to do a pooled variance? First of all, a pooled variance is always going to be a little bit better of a, a way to do it. It's always going to be a bit more conservative, which we like. We pull, I don't know if your politics are conservative or not. I don't care about your politics. But in science, you should be conservative. Because you don't want to... Because the opposite of conservative is being reckless. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm in politics. I don't care about your politics. Don't care about my politics. You learn all about my politics by reading my Facebook and Twitter feeds. That's fine. But when, if we're going to make statements about how the universe works, we better be damned careful. So this is going to be this is a, this is a little bit more conservative, which is good. Less likely to make an idiot of yourself. Okay. But you might say, well, yeah, but I want statistical power, of course. Naturally, that makes complete sense. You want to be able to find differences that are there. Well, how is that going to work? Well, the thing is, so you got to know when would you use when would you use uh, the, the 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 not the pool variance, but the two different variances. There's a rule of thumb: is one variance four times bigger than the other? That's just a rule, people. It's it's it. People have done computer simulations showing that when one sport, when you get past four times bigger than another one, you should probably use the pool variance test. Okay. You don't have what's called homogeneity of variance. How many degrees of freedom do we have here? Same thing. N1 plus N2 minus 2. We've, we've fixed two values. So we've lost two degrees of freedom. Okay. Are there statistical tests you can do to compare these two variances? Yep. There are. And people that want to be more conservative say when they find there's a significant difference between those two variances, which you, you actually calculate through a simple test, you divide one variance by the other. It's really easy. And then you look it up in an F table. Now it's basically else variance. It's simple to do. No one does it. Finally, there's a better way to do it than all of this. And it involves something called partial degrees of freedom, which would also involve me teaching you all matrix algebra. So we're not going to do it. But I can tell you that it is available. You will see it on a, uh, on a, a, a computer output, like on SPSS. It'll give you one that'll say, it'll, I think it either says partial degrees of freedom or it'll give you like degrees of freedom and it'll say 7.4 and you go, huh? That's actually a really good one to use if the variances are different. This is, this is, you know why this was invented? Because people used to do these things by hand. Now, I will say that with my honor students, if they're using a t-test, we do them by hand. Why fire up a computer? I can do it on my phone. What do I need to fire up SPSS for? Right? I like experiments. Those are my favorite kind, right? 
ones you can analyze on your phone or with a pencil and a piece of paper. It's the crap of playing with a computer where you can make it's easier to make mistakes, it seems to me, with a computer. I don't know why, because you know, you're entering data. If I get data in front of me and I'm actually adding them up and I do them in my head, my favorite kind of experiment. And you're all thinking, oh, that'll be great. Maybe I'll try to work with Dave next year. I'll be on sabbatical. <laughs> Screw you people. I'm just going to sit in my office and just yell at you constantly. Screw you all. I don't even have to come to work, but I'm damn because I got nothing to do. <laughs> that'll probably happen a lot. I'm going to do other things. I'm just not going to be all teaching. All teaching. I will be available for consultation. That sounded weird. Okay, like some sort of therapy thing. That's the last person on earth we want doing therapy is me. Dave's rational emotive therapy. Because that's what I do. That's what I would do. I would not be doing any of this uh, humanism crap. Any of this. Uh, oh, how does that make you feel? Oh, we're all valuable. I'd just be yelling at you. I'd be like, you stupid idiot. <laughs> and I'd get paid. That's not a bad kid. I'd do that anyway. Um, It'd probably be more helpful than the feel stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Actually, cognitive behavioral therapy is really the way to go, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun for me. Um, okay, assumptions. Okay, tests. Statistical tests have assumptions. You have to meet these assumptions or they don't work anymore. Assumptions. Do you remember doing math, like like high school math, sort of advanced high school math, maybe grade 11, grade 12, and you had, you would do things like prove an identity. Remember, remember proving identities? This equals this. I, I used to love doing those because they're, they're puzzles. Or even geometry, think of those things. You always had assumptions at the beginning, right? You'd say assume this, assume this, and assume this. Now, usually they were sensible assumptions. You can't say, assume the answer is 12. It doesn't work that way. Uh, for those of you guys who didn't take, any, didn't take math, it was a little advanced. It's things like, assume that this is true and this is true. If that's the case, then we can go on and do some stuff. So that's, that's because there is really cool calculus behind how, say, a t-test works, which is all based on the central limit theorem, and there's calculus behind it, when people do those theorems, they say, okay, now, assume that this is true. One of those assumptions, for example, is a simple random sample. That's an SRS, a simple random sample. One of the assumptions behind the central limit theorem is you have a simple, ran a simple random sample. That's going to be an assumption of virtually every test we talk about in this course. Why? Because the central limit theorem assumes a simple random sample. We assume independence of observations. What does that mean? That means if I know Spence's score, it doesn't tell me anything about Wendy's score. It tells me if I know Lissa's score, I don't know anything about Romy's score. They are not dependent on each other. That doesn't mean I, you know, that I think anybody's cheating. I kind of think of it that way, though. I think of it as the no cheating assumption. Right? I know Daniel's score, I don't know Tom's score. It doesn't help me know it anymore if I know Daniel's score or don't know Daniel's score. The observations are independent. You can you take care of that from design. You have dependent observation, now you say, wait a second, Dave, what about maybe you're not saying this, but I'm pretending you're thinking like this. What about that uh, dependent sample you know, the, 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 the pairs? It's the same person. Don't those scores depend on each other? Oh yes. That's why we don't analyze them as two separate groups. We do differences. Then the difference for me and the difference for Jay and the difference for Romy don't depend on each other. My difference score, my before score, my after score are totally dependent. It's the same guy. I haven't completely changed between the two. <coughs> That's right. So independence of observations. This is you can violate the hell out of this, by the way, of simple random sample. We do it all the time. Still works. Can't violate that. So the t-test is very robust when it comes to violations of that of, of the simple random sample assumption. It's robust. 
We also need homogeneity of variance, that the two groups have the same variance. That is at least to use the one with the different variances in the bottom. If we want to use pooled variance, we can. But it comes to a point where you can't even really pool the variance. The bigger the, the variance differences, the harder it's going to be to find a difference between two groups. You can violate the hell out of this, though. It's, again, very robust when it comes to violations of homogeneity of variance. And there are usually, and we'll talk about this, uh, when will we talk about that? A couple weeks. There are ways to fix this, to fix your scores. We'll talk about transformations. That's it. So there are ways to fix it. But it's, you can violate this pretty nastily. You can you cannot touch this at all. You violate that, the math completely falls apart. You violate separative sample, no problem. And we do that, we violate separative sample all the time. Nobody is, I don't know anybody that's ever randomly sampled people, ever. Even just within, you know, even when you think about, well, you guys, a lot of you guys probably participated in honor species experiments, right? You were the subjects. And then some of you guys, uh, you know, and some of you guys next year will do your honors thesis and you will, you will get people and you're not going to be uh, randomly sampling them. Not even randomly sampling people from intro. People sign up because you have a cool title. Right? Isn't that what you did? You signed up because it was a cool title or you thought the guy or the girl doing the experiment was good looking. I mean, that's the only reason you sign up for the experiment. Right? You don't. Right? That bonus marks are also there, right? So that's why we do them. We don't do them because of we aren't randomly chosen. I choose to choose you. <laughs> anybody gets a Simpsons reference, it pleases me. Um, so, but it doesn't matter. Stats still work. Do they work better with a simple random sample? Yeah, but not so much better that it matters. But you can't do anything with this. You cannot violate. Homogeneity of variance. I'm sorry, uh, independence of observation. Any questions on this stuff? You okay? All right. Okay. I have a question, sorry. Go ahead. What's the question? Um, what is SP squared like on the last? Oh, uh, well, full variance. That's where it's a p means pool variance. That's, it equals that thing at the bottom. Uh, n1 minus 1 times s squared 1 plus n2 minus 1 times s squared 2 over n1 plus n2 minus 2. Okay. Yeah. Pool variance, yeah. That 2 is there because we have 2 degrees of freedom. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. You mean the denominator of the pool variance calculation? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Other questions? Those are good questions. Clarify things. That's the questions you're for. We have time. Okay, fine, go. <laughs> unless, you know, you have other classes. And unless they're with me, I don't care. Go home.
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.